Are you struggling to keep up with the demands of managing and securing identity in your distributed enterprise IT environment? You're not alone, but don't let it hold you back. With Strata's identity orchestration platform, you can secure all your apps on any cloud with any IDP, so your IT teams will never have to refactor for identity again. Imagine modernizing app identity in minutes instead of months, deploying passwordless on any trickled app, and achieving business resilience with always-on identity, all from one lightweight and flexible platform. Want to see it in action? Share your identity challenge with us on a discovery call, and we'll hook you up with a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Don't miss out. Visit strata.io slash cloudcast. That's strata.io slash cloudcast. Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from our massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina, and it is Aaron for Cloud News this week. And coming up after the news, we've got a great conversation about Edge, Interconnects, and Colo, but... Let's jump right into cloud news this week. First of all, and we've talked a little bit about this in the past, but Snowflake debuted another industry or vertical specific cloud. They have debuted the telecom data cloud for carriers. And so this follows along some of the ones that they've done in the past. Um, they've done manufacturing, they've done healthcare, they've done financial services, and I think they've done some others as well. But one of the big things about this one is how they're really bundling utility and additional software into this as well. So it's a pretty unique take on this, and this must be somewhat successful for them as well, because they do continue to reach out and explore new verticals. And with that, we're going to move on to our second article. Our second article is something that probably isn't a surprise to anyone, but this is from TechCrunch, and the they're talking about the $100 million venture round going extinct, or the nine-figure rounds. And, and this probably peaked uh, probably in the 2021 timeframe. In the article, they do state in late 2021, we're looking at 426 venture funding rounds of 100 million or greater. Uh, so far in the first quarter of 2023, we're only looking at 57. And, and so what you're seeing here is um, something that I think follows along with some of the trends we've been seeing lately. So, uh, you know, rising interest rates, some of the venture capital becoming harder to get, but it's also really harder to get in volume. And it'll be interesting to see the company's that this was their growth path instead of the typical, you know, take a couple rounds of funding, try an IPO, buy a D round, maybe an E round, instead going for these multiple hundred million dollars, G rounds and H rounds and some of these others. Well, what are they going to do going forward? And so this will be certainly an interesting trend to track th throughout the rest of 2023. And lastly, platform engineering. I know it's been quite the buzz here lately, but there was another interesting article I saw over at the Newstack about platform engineering and the end result. What we've been talking about and, and some 
articles that are out there really talk about is the product of platform engineering. A lot of times you'll hear it referred to as an IDP, an internal developer platform. Well, what exactly is that? And is an IDP a developer portal? Is it a service catalog? What exactly does that mean? And of course, with some of this, building something, hey, what if it doesn't get adopted? What if you build it and the developers don't accept it and they don't adopt it going forward? So this really presents more of a product-based mindset and every platform engineering team should have a product manager considering it like an internal product and what does the deliverables look like and maybe it isn't an interface. Uh, it's a really good read, and I I definitely suggest you go check that out. And as always, uh, there are other stories in Cloud News this week. I, I think I probably came up with, I don't know, six or seven of them all total of interest in the last week or so. So definitely go check that out. The link is in the show notes. And with that, I'm going to wrap up Cloud News this week. And coming up after the break, we're going to be talking with Zachary Smith, Head of Edge Infrastructure at Equinix. Datadog is a SaaS cloud monitoring and security platform that enables full-stack observability for modern infrastructure and applications at any scale. Providing teams dashboarding, alerting, application performance monitoring, infrastructure monitoring, UX monitoring, security monitoring, and log management in one tightly integrated platform, plus 450-plus out-of-the-box integrations with technologies including cloud providers, databases, and web servers. Aggregate all your data into one platform for seamless correlation, enabling teams to troubleshoot and collaborate together in one place, preventing downtime and enhancing performance and reliability. Get started with a free 14-day trial by visiting datadog.com cloudcast. That's datadog.com cloudcast. Are you getting pressure from finance to justify or reduce your cloud bill? CloudZero is the only cloud cost platform loved by engineers and trusted by finance. CloudZero can identify unused, idle, or over-provisioned resources, alert you to spend anomalies, and organize 100% of your spend into a framework that mirrors your business structure, like cost per customer, product feature, or team. It's the most powerful platform ever built to provide accurate, granular visibility into your total cloud spend without the typical pitfalls of legacy cloud cost management tools like endless tagging or clunky Kubernetes support. Manage cost, optimize development, and maximize profit all in one platform. Join companies like Rapid7, Drift, and SeatGeek by visiting cloudzero.com cloudcast to get started. That's cloudzero.com cloudcast. Visit today to experience immediate and ongoing savings on your cloud bill. And we're back. And, you know, folks, one of the things that we, I feel like we haven't talked about a lot over the last maybe six months or so, just because of, of other topics and other things that, that prioritized is uh, not only sort of edge computing, but also, you know, what's been happening with not just the big three uh, cloud providers, but everything else in the ecosystem that enables them to do what they do, uh, you know, helping uh, do interconnect, helping customers figure out how they do migrations. How do we, you know, how do we get from, you know, where we were before in, in data centers um, to kind of all the new ways in which we're not only doing cloud computing, uh, we're doing sort of interim steps to cloud computing, but also so much of what's been going on in the edge, lots of topics there that we haven't necessarily talked about. And, you know, that's one of those things where we go, well, okay, that's a lot to talk about. How do we go find somebody that can help us with, with really all those things? And today we've got a great guest who not only has to focus on that every day, but really is an expert at this for many, many years. So very, very excited to have Zachary Smith, who is head of edge infrastructure at Equinix. 
Zach, welcome to the show. Great to have you on. Thanks, Brian. It's awesome to be here. Um, you, uh, you've got a really, you know, you are responsible for a lot of things at Equinix, but you've got a really robust background, both, uh, as a, as an entrepreneur, as a leader of, of companies. Um, you've been in this space for a long time. You are also, you know, a, a you know, board member at a number of companies that are around the ecosystem. Give folks a sense of, of, of your background, uh, and, you know, what's really kind of led you to where you are today, but then also what are some of the things you focus on at Equinix? Excellent. Well, Brian, it's been a, it's been a fun journey. Um, as I like to tell my wife, it's better to be, you know, lucky versus smart. And, um, I got really fortunate back in the early two thousands. I went to school for music. I went to Juilliard. Um, I was playing classical double bass and had this dream that I would show up in New York and, you know, be on the big stage. And, and it turns out that I was just, you know, kind of a, a starving artist trying to figure out how I was going to pay my rent. Um, and I did so by fixing computers. Um, and that landed me um, in, in 2001 in the early days of Linux-based web hosting. Um, and uh, that was just an incredible kind of stroke of luck and an opportunity that kind of opened up a whole new career path for me. Um, and so I started there, um, built with, a, with some friends, um, what became one of the first cloud computing platforms based upon Zen, you know, turning on and off virtual machines, um, starting to build things like load balancing and traffic management and, and storage, um, and ended up selling that business to a firm called Internap in 2011. Um, I did so because, um, you know, we felt that there was a lot of consolidation happening and these hyperscale clouds were coming that um, they did the data center through the database. They did the whole stack and we were just playing in this little middle part of, you know, kind of the, the automated infrastructure component as DevOps was becoming, you know, a trend and, and related. Um, but I was kind of inspired um, back in 2014. Um, a good friend of mine, Alex Polvey, had started a company called CoreOS. Yeah. Um, and he came by New York and he said, um, you, you were just meeting up for coffee or lunch or something like that. And and I'm like, well, Alex, what are you doing? It's, 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 he's like, well, I'm making a new operating system. I thought, I, was, I thought that was done. And he's like, no, no, no. There's this whole Docker stuff. It's going to change everything. <laughs> and yeah, we, um, we, we yeah. thought the exact same thing when we met Alex. We had no idea why somebody else would want to build another <laughs> Linux OS. Exactly. Yet another Linux. Do we not need another distro? And he's like, absolutely. And um, and it just so happened that Dan Kahn, who had started the CNCF, was my neighbor. Um, and so we started chatting about you know, what was becoming Kubernetes and the ecosystem of cloud native computing and, and, you know, kind of my, you know, infrastructure plumbing brain went immediately to, well, what if we could make physical networks and computers, you know, more accessible to software developers, more accessible to automation. And so I started a company called Packet um, that basically was in the business of automating single tenant hardware, no matter what the hardware was, uh, no matter what you put on it and no matter where it was. And that just started as an incredible journey. We were backed by SoftBank and, and Dell Technologies and a bunch of other venture firms. Um, and back in 2020, it was acquired by Equinix, um, which was, you know, if, if you don't know a lot about Equinix, I'd be happy to introduce it for you. But um, Equinix is the world's largest operator of interconnected data centers. We're in over uh, 40 countries, 70 markets around the world, um, you know, 200 and 200 plus data centers. Um, but what really makes us special is we're a place where networks and ecosystems come to interconnect, where traffic is passed between clouds and enterprises or telcos and mobile carriers or content and related. 
Um, and Equinix acquired Packet, um, you know, basically to remove some of the friction, make it easier for customers uh, to deploy infrastructure programmatically in minutes instead of in months across this kind of immense global platform. And so I've been um, here for three years, um, enjoying leading various parts of our digital infrastructure offerings, um, including how we turn on network functions for customers who are coming to transform their networks here at Equinix, and also digital infrastructure like bare metal compute and whatnot on behalf of our OEM partners and, 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 and ourselves to make it easier for customers to kind of find that juicy middle ground of what workload fits where and how they can you know, um, leverage, uh, you know, kind of our interconnection capabilities across our platform. So I'll stop there. But um, I'm, I've uh, never worked in a company this big, or never um, had, uh, you know, this kind of, you know, I'm called vantage point, but I've uh, been really excited to see the the deep underbelly of internet infrastructure up close. Yeah, no, that's, that's fantastic. And we always, we always love a story in which, uh, you know, the, the, you know, our guest is, is not somebody who comes from just, you know, purely a classical uh, computer science background. You know, my dad got me my first computer when I was 11 and I hacked on it. It's, it I can only imagine when you go back to Juilliard for reunions that you just tell people, well, um, yeah, I'm in charge of making sure Spotify gets to your iPhone. And that's all you're all understand. <laughs> <laughs> uh, big buildings computers turn on and off that's, that's right. about as deep as i go that's right that's right i we you know we we've been we've been talking about equinix i want to say maybe sort of i guess as a as a part of our conversations for years and years it's good mm. to finally have somebody from the company on the, on the show um equinix is in a, you guys are in a very interesting position because of you sit in the middle of of so many things right you have sort of yeah. like, you, like you mentioned there's there's a number of distinct things you do right it, co-location, uh, which can be not only for large businesses and small businesses, but also, you know, I'm sure, uh, you know, for the cloud providers offsetting some of their things. But mm-hmm. but then you guys also provide a number of direct services. It could be edge computing. It could be, you know, interconnects. Um, you know, as, as we, you know, as we're, we're, we're all sort of figuring out what 2023 looks like. I'm curious from sure. the position you sit in, what are some of the trends that are, you know, top of mind for, for what you're thinking about in, in, you know, your position in the world, I guess, your, your place in the technology ecosystem? Yeah. Well, let me back up really quickly and kind of um, introduce your listeners a little bit better to Equinix. So Equinix was started back in 1998 um, by Jay Adelson and Al Avery as a place for the internet to grow. And in fact, Equinix stands for equality and neutrality in the internet exchange. It's the acronym. Um, and it was really just a place where, hey, how would AOL and AT&T come together to exchange traffic between what was content at the time and the eyeballs? Um, and so we got our start really just being a neutral you know, building and a neutral place to allow these things to come together. Um, and you know, that kind of you know, nurturing of the original internet um, grew into nurturing of other types of ecosystems, for example, financial services, um, where most of the world's stock trading and, you know, um, I'm going to call it counterparty no longer happens under the, uh, you know, what was it, the acorn tree on Wall Street. It happens in a data center where all the counterparties need to get equal access to each other um, in a very uh, egalitarian way. Um, and then, uh, you know, we had a similar kind of burgeoning of clouds where enterprise users needed to connect or wanted to connect um, to clouds like AWS. And so we helped AWS create Direct Connect, um, which was a way for enterprise networks to reach um, Amazon's you know, cloud without having to go into their data centers. <laughs> um, and so we, we kind of continue to provide this neutral place um, for customers to, to connect. 
Um, that continues to be our business model. And we just do so in a much bigger scale than than um, kind of most people recognize. So, like I said earlier, you know, we're in over seventy markets, you know, forty plus countries, everywhere from Peru to Melbourne um, to India to obviously all across the U.S., Canada, European Union, et cetera. Yeah. And that big global reach has been exciting to watch because when we go there, we bring our interconnection ecosystem. So we have over 3,000 networks and clouds that are customers and work at Equinix to meet each other and their their counterparties. And increasingly, most businesses um, are investing in digital. And what they're generally doing is trying to reach other digital counterparties. They're not trying to be on some island on their own. They're trying to talk to the rest of the world in a digital manner. Right. Um, and so this is like the housing model that that we've provided for, for enterprise customers as well as service providers alike, whether it's multi-cloud, whether they're trying to access data in Snowflake and use it in Salesforce, right? They need to interconnect that and transfer and move that data. Um, and so what we've seen and, and kind of invested in over the past several years is how can we remove the friction from that being effectuated? Um, if you need to go and put infrastructure, uh, maybe some networking gear, maybe some storage, and you want to put that in 20 markets around the world, that used to take you years. Um, you, you had to go and physically rack it. You had to kind of take care of it. You had to order telco circuits. You had to move it around. Now that can happen in minutes. Um, and so that's been fascinating to just like in, invest in, you know, the plumber's job of removing the friction um, and, and kind of accelerating and seeing what starts to happen. So if you're asking me then what I see in terms of trends, I'll say a couple things, right? Um, first and foremost, you know, I feel that we're moving pretty clearly um, into a realm where um, the internet is getting less flat. Uh, we have a significant amount of localization um, happening with our customers who need to be in multiple locations for, for kind of performance and regulatory requirements. Um, deterministic routing that keeps data within the European Union, for example, or within Canada. Um, you know, places like India, which have content regulations, you know, and these companies are, you know, dealing with either end user employees or, you know, markets they're accessing that they need to be in way more locations, right? Um, and so we're seeing that as just a huge trend. We want to talk about edge, for us right now, um, most enterprises are looking about an edge strategy that says, how do I terminate and deal with my traffic and intelligence, you know, closer to where my end users are? So you no longer have kind of typical, which AZ are you in, US East with something else? It's kind of like, how many regions am I going to, right? Yeah. And uh, so I think that's been a really marked difference. I think it's been spurred by a couple of technological shifts. Not only are there's just kind of a ubiquity of infrastructure access, both from clouds and other options, but some of the core fundamental technologies have gotten, you know, seriously more robust. So think things like, you know, um, event-driven computing, like serverless, um, now no longer a fad, right? Actually can run, you know, workers on Cloudflare in 80 markets or something. Right. Um, and then things like backends, databases, whether you look at PlanetScale or you look at cockroach or you look at mongo things that are operating data stores in dozens or hundreds of locations um and the services from cloud providers alike so i think like there's also technology shifts that kind of you know unleash maybe we're, we're at the point maybe now maybe we're in it maybe we're close to it of the cambrian explosion where we move from the typical kind of three-tier app running in one or two locations with a dr into a it's just running everywhere and it will be where it needs to be and I think that's really being driven by, you know, that kind of this, 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 uh, you know, combination of forces of 
regulatory and performance combined with technical capability to be able to actually effectuate that in a much cheaper cost basis. Yeah. You mentioned, uh, you mentioned a couple of different ways of thinking about edge computing, right? You, you, you talked about it from a localization perspective, you know, companies are having to deal with regulations for localization, but they're also dealing with, you know, fastest response time. Um, I, I feel like edge to a certain extent, um, is, is still an emerging space. It feels somewhat fragmented because the sense of like, the conversation could be about edge in terms of uh, little tiny devices on lamp poles, you know, monitoring stuff for a sure. city. It could be CDN edge. It could be, you know, what we used to call branch yeah. office edge. Like, how yeah. do you, you know, do you have sort of a distinct uh, take on it? Do you really kind of only focus on certain parts of it? Or are you really looking at all these types of things going, okay, as a somewhat independent piece of this, like, where can we add value? Where are we listening to companies? Yeah. How do you think about edge? Yeah. Well, um, Equinix in particular focuses on what we would call the metro edge or the infrastructure edge. Um, And that's where we get density of ecosystems. And so uh, there's a big misnomer in networks that like the fastest point between two locations, right, or whatever, I'm going to use my bad physics here, um, would be the closest one. But that's not actually the case. Right. It's the closest for all the things that you're trying to access. Right. It does you no good to put your application two miles from somebody's house if you have to backhaul, you know, 2,000 miles across the way to get access to the database, right? Like, that doesn't actually help you. Probably it's more relevant to put it somewhere equidistant. Um, And so the way that Equinix thinks about it and has kind of fueled, you know, our 80 consecutive quarters of growth has been like, focus on creating ecosystem density. So where we are looking at is how can we be in between the most number of networks, Um, And so that means like a typical application might need to access telco networks for say 4G or 5G, might need to access, you know, offices, you know, MPLS, it might need to access um, clouds, you know, various clouds, maybe Azure for identity and AWS for Redshift, right? Um, And so you've got this, like when you look at typical application stacks or calling, you know, 60, 70, 80 different network endpoints every time they load something, and the question that we can do is how can we bring disruptive economics and latency benefits to access the density of most of those networks, right? And so Equinix's current strategy, and you know, I think we'll probably keep on doing the do here, is to kind of continue to expand that metro edge and add density to it, um, which right now is, is, like I said er- earlier, about 70 markets around the world, represents the vast majority, I think it's under 10 millisecond access to 90% of the world's humanity, right, is within those. And so it's, there's some good stats I can send it to you or, or but it's directionally, you know, in those numbers. Um, and there are certainly kind of like known differentials like China and whatnot, but, um, sure. you know, that that's pretty impressive, right? And, and one of the challenges that we have right now is that the way that a lot of people might access the, the humans, right, yeah. at the edge would be a, via mobile, right? Increasingly via some sort of wireless connectivity. And typically, um, that's been very expensive for carriers to put, you know, infrastructure, not only to carry your wireless signal, you know, from your, say, phone or IoT device or whatnot, back to the radio, back to something else. But how do you get access to the internet from there? And um, and that has been really fascinating as we've worked with partners like Orange Telecom, where they have a goal of putting their virtual pop um, technology in a hundred different locations around the world. They want to be even closer than a hot 10 milliseconds. I think their goal is to be five milliseconds away from, you know, almost all their customers. And, and what that's doing is that's allowing breakout, 
right? So that the wireless networks can break out and route traffic very close to the end users, which typically hasn't been the case, right? If you've done a little trace route sitting on you when you go roaming on your, you know, mobile phone and in a different country, a lot of the times you're just being, you know, tunneled back to Ashburn, Virginia, right? Um, you might be in France, but your your packets are taking a nice little, you know, scenic tour of the earth to come back and forth, right? And so I think that's really the exciting part right now is we're seeing a huge uplift in kind of mobile networks being able to distribute their infrastructure more cost effectively so you can have local breakout. Um, and obviously the terrestrial networks like, you know, um, you know, your fiber connection and carriers and whatnot have already been doing that for a long time. But to me, that's really going to create a tipping point and explosion for applications that can take advantage of that, right? Run really closely. Because then you look at the scale of a mobile network and, you know, end users and, and you're, you're really starting to say like, wow, I probably need to be in 50 or 60 or 70 places around the world to make that really an incredible experience. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, no, it's, and it's, and again, it's the, and the reason I asked is, is because there are so many different things people are doing. It's, it's interesting to see where, where the focus is because everybody's got a little bit different focus. Um, I want to shift, shift gears a little bit. You, you know, you, you highlighted uh, some of the early work that, that Equinix had done uh, in, you know, working with AWS around interconnects and, and, you know, for Mm -hmm. so many companies like, that was a big deal because it went from, okay, I'm sending stuff literally over, you know, people used to have dedicated links between their data centers. All of a sudden, AWS was sort of becoming a data center for people, uh, you know, whatever. Um, And then they were, you know, early on, they were just sending stuff over the internet, best quality, you know, quality was all over the place. Obviously that, that has become mainstream. People use that every day. Uh, Mm -hmm. What are some of the things, you know, kind of going forward or, you know, recently, like we've seen, we've seen some shift from the cloud providers in terms of um, just even their messaging, right? They're, they're trying to be more solution oriented. Obviously they're Mm -hmm. going after enterprises even more. What are some of the things that, that they're starting to ask you to do, you know, in kind of in, in collaboration with that, in concert with the new things they're trying to offer to the market? Yeah, a few things. On the networking side, we've really seen a big movement towards multi-cloud networking, okay. right? Um, not only are we are we seeing customers really adopt interconnect using various things like direct connect or, you know, kind of Azure's versions of that or whatnot, and leveraging places like Equinix in order to create load latency cost-effective ways in and out of clouds with the rest of their network infrastructure, security infrastructure, et cetera. Um, but now most enterprise customers of ours, and we have over 10,000 enterprise and service provider customers, they're not in one cloud. They're in lots of clouds. <laughs> um, and now normalizing and figuring out how to route traffic, observe it, manage security policy, et cetera, has kind of seen a, a real burgeoning of, um, uh, of, of multi-cloud networking options. So whether that's things like SD-WAN or uh, security services or things like Aviatrix, which are multi-cloud networking capable. Like people are trying to, like, hey, I'm moving all this traffic around. Um, I got lots of applications running all over the place. I need better observability and better routing tools. So, so that's kind of been I'm going to call like a an embracing of the multi-cloud world. And then and the and the cloud providers I think are really starting to see that as a value add. What's what's fascinating to me is the movement of workload, right? Um, and the clouds are really looking at you know partnerships related to running their control plane or related capabilities wherever it needs to be. And Amazon's first started with things like local zones, and then we worked with that heavily on EKS. So EKS anywhere that you could run 
on Equinix Metal across all of our locations, but connect back and be managed by AWS security policies and control plane. Outposts, right? Um, Google has Anthos, you know, Azure has Arc, which is, hey, listen, you've got a lot of policy. The value add out of these cloud ecosystems, you know, is way more than I got a computer. It's more, I got access to these applications or the security kind of policy or control mechanisms, but my workload needs to go to more places. <laughs> and so how can, you know, I'm going to just maybe say a, a, a super high level term here, which is like, I think fast forward five years and cloud providers are really just software companies, right? Delivering software and SaaS services wherever they need to be with some really built in systemic advantages around infrastructure scale in their own data centers, right? Um, but I wouldn't be surprised to see that kind of multi-cloud approach, Anthos running on AWS, AWS running on wherever it needs to be is gonna become way more common. And, you know, I think probably, you know, the better question is like, well, that starts to look a lot like VMware, right? right? And, you know, opportunities for other style control planes that are independent or embracing multi-cloud. Yeah. Well, and it, and it, and it makes sense. I mean, right now, you know, a lot of times people would go, well, you know, it's hard to imagine one of the cloud providers doing a thing with somebody else. But if you, if you think about it historically, right now they're making a lot of money margins on, on infrastructure level stuff that traditionally Mm -hmm. sort of always commoditizes, but at some point, you know, software becomes a much better margin, uh, than, you know, especially application software becomes much better margin. So yeah, the, the, where it could go and, and where they will go as they, their margin, uh, sort of portfolio shifts a little bit that makes makes a ton of sense. Um, I want to hit on on one other thing that is right in your wheelhouse. Obviously, uh, you know, you've got a bunch of background from this from Packet, but also now what you're mm-hmm. doing. I want to talk about bare metal. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I feel like bare metal is one of those topics that that sort of pops its head up and then it sort of, you know, kind of goes back down under the radar and are we seeing uh, sort of interesting new innovation with bare metal? Is it still kind of primarily in the domain of people who are, you know, everything performance centric, like their applications are, you know, have to get every, uh, every percentage of CPU out of it? Or are we seeing some new interesting trends or technologies around bare metal that people should be looking at? Yeah. Well, a good friend of mine, Evo Rook, he was running the um, uh, IoT network at Sprint before they were acquired by T-Mobile. And he said, you know, most workload just doesn't matter unless it's changing your life. And that's the workload that then you care about everything, right? You just really don't care about the Excel spreadsheet, but you do really care um, about the experience of, say, you know, um, how you interact with an iPhone these days, right? It's pretty game changing. I could see other things happening around machine learning. What we saw just recently in pop culture where my mom started asking me, um, what what is this chat GPT thing <laughs> that is um, writing my emails for me? Yeah. Um, and so I think like those technologies that become ubiquitous and really touch human lives, whether they're your cars that 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 like I did make a bet ten years ago that I would die before um, you know a car drove itself, and now I own a Tesla that kind of drives me home, right? So like these technologies come out and they 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 really impact people's lives, and that requires and innovation in both the software model and the hardware model. And I'm gonna go a little bit deeper than that to say, um, innovation in hardware is also becoming part of, I think our global consciousness around sustainability. Not just good enough that I can like throw more things at it. I actually should care about the overall carbon impact of running my workload. Um, I love what the CNCF or Linux Foundation is doing around green computing initiatives, like making your software 
efficient from a carbon perspective versus just fast, right? Um, you know, and I think that this starts to unleash the need for certain types of workload, whether it's network performance, whether it's data performance, whether it's, you know, overall efficiency related to machine learning, that these are going to become, you know, really dependent upon hardware innovations. And we kind of have seen some of that reliance upon that when we saw some of the, you know, supply chain issues we had over the past year or two or three, how much of our life depends upon having the right chip, right? And I think that that's why bare metal is relevant, which is how do you take a thing, right? And there's a reason why when I said earlier, um, Packet was started um, and Equinix firmly believes that we don't create technology. We just help operate it. Yeah. And so Packet was in the business to operate and lifecycle hardware, no matter what it was. Was it x86? Was it ARM? Was it RISC? Did it have a GPU or a smart NIC in it? To have some cool crypto offload? That shouldn't really matter to how a software engineer or DevOps person or IT person could consume it and do what they were trying to accomplish, their, their level of innovation. And so I would say at a high level, um, you know, bare metal is not like widely applicable to, you know, your mom and pop grocery store on the corner probably doesn't care about this. But companies who are investing in digital, um, whose whole businesses are about digital experiences or the impact of that on their own business, um, probably will increasingly need that as a tool to access um, that layer of innovation where you can move hardware and software together at the same time. So maybe that's that's the way I think about it in my head. Yeah. Um, of course, there are other use cases, which is this, I don't want to have multi-tenancy or I just want to share the whole thing or that's what I have available. But I think the real driver and interest is really about kind of the combination of innovation of hardware and software together. Yeah, yeah. No, and I and I ask because... Um, you know, there, there are plenty, you know, it's, it's very easy for us to go talk to, to AMD or Intel and say, Hey, you know, what's the fastest chip you've got coming out and what, but you know, it does, it does take somebody who thinks about it, you know, like, like you said, really from probably a combination of both hardware and software in which, yes, you want to be as close to the chip as possible, but you know, what are the other ramifications of that? Are they economic? Are they technical? Are they operational? So very good. Well, listen, I think increasingly we might have a business model shift there because with OEMs and silicon partners, you know, they're, they're starting, you can see what, you know, OEMs are doing like Dell with Apex or HP with GreenLake or Cisco with Cisco Plus, where they're starting to bring kind of operated models because there's been a false choice, I think, for many years, right? Which was, if you wanted to, you know, maybe have some hardware access, you really didn't have an operating model that was cloudy, right? Which was, well, I don't really want to go fix it at 2 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> I just want to have access to it. Right. Um, and now I think there's a much more robust understanding of beyond just, say, financing gear, but really life cycling. And this is becoming relevant to our customers as they look toward their net zero goals, which is not just you know, how can I buy it and use it? How can I get the right outcome? How can I recycle it? What is the carbon impact of leveraging that? Um, and I, so I think the OEMs and the related silicon partners really do have some business model, you know, innovation to do in addition to that technology innovation that we're so used to. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, Zach, uh, I want to thank you for everything today. I know we covered a lot, a lot of different topics. Um, if, uh, if folks, you know, want to reach out to, to you and your team, want to pick your brain, want to, you know, kind of get some insight into where you see the future going. What's, uh, what's good ways to, to engage with yourself, with your team and, uh, and learn more about what you're doing. Well, you can come, come to Equinix.com. We have a special site just for all of our digital stuff, deploy.equinix.com where you can kind of find out about that and, and, and figure that out. Or you can hit me up on Twitter, which is Z Smith NYC. Good, good stuff. And we have all that in the show notes for folks. Well, listen, 
thank you again for the time today. I know we covered a lot of different topics. I uh, I had no no worries that you'd uh, you'd be able to, to to help us with all those things. And like I said, we haven't we haven't touched on them in a while, so it was good to be able to to kind of dig into them. Folks, with that, uh, we want to thank Zach for his time today. Uh, with that, I'm going to wrap it up. We want to thank all of you for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Thanks for helping us grow the show. And with that, we'll wrap it up, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 